Hey everybody, happy Monday and welcome to the I-5 Corridor. This is actually the new edition of the I-5 Corridor's Monday Traffic Report. It had been a written portion of the I-5 Corridor for uh, the last couple of weeks, but uh, now that football season's starting and we have myself and Shane Hoffman reporting from Oregon and Oregon State Camp and across the state, we wanted to turn this into a, a Monday podcast. And don't worry, Aiden's going to be still around during the midweek. We're just adding more content here. So uh, Shane... Happy uh, happy maiden voyage here on the uh, I-5 Corridor's uh, traffic report. It's great to be here. I know we did a podcast, uh, what, like almost, I think it was last March now at this point about um, men's basketball. And that's obviously in the rear view, but it'll be cool to talk about some football and all sorts of other stuff as well. So since since March, you have moved to Portland for the summer where you've been working with the Portland Tribune. Um, I've really enjoyed reading some of your stories. I kind of get pissed when uh, I see sports stories uh, that I'd like to have on my site in there. But, you know, you got to go earn that credit. Uh, how's how's your first summer in Portland been? It's been awesome. Um, you know, my living situation is a little interesting. Maybe that's a an op-ed piece to get into later <laughs> or something like that. But um, no, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm big into kind of nature and the food and just the whole kind of sports vibe of this city. And as, as much as people can complain about it, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I'm in, I'm in the Hawthorne area, which has been super nice. Um, and then on top of that, you mentioned it, like, it's been cool to be at the Tribune. You know, there's definitely been some sports stuff, but there's also been plenty of uh, news and local politics, which isn't quite on my alley, but it's been a good experience. And then just doing stuff for you and then some other places as well. So it's been kind of a nice, well-rounded summer. I think the last city council meeting I ever covered was probably in like 2009 Missoula. And it was like an hour and a half on uh, whether or not they should build roundabouts through town. Uh, What's been the most riveting city council meeting? (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah, I know. I mean, here they're they're pretty much a legit, you know, three, three and a half hours every time. Maybe you'll get a little break in there. Luckily, my editor, who's who's done a great job, is he kind of primes me. You know, he he gives me in with a little bit of a roadmap. But it's been a lot of traffic stuff, um, a lot of uh, in all uh, all white council talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, so <laughs> so great stuff like that. All right. Well, so the the kind of the point of the traffic report here is to kind of go over what you may have missed over the weekend and kind of like set set the table for uh, the week to come and. Um, you wrote a story that, that published today about, uh, the, the repainting of the Moshovsky, Moshovsky center, uh, that I really want to get into. But, uh, but first let's, uh, let, let's start a little bit with the, about the weekend. And I really just kind of want to talk about Anthony Brown. I mean, I feel like is he, he might be the next Patrick Mahomes, right? <laughs> there's, there's some potential there, you know, I will say he, he went to the perfect system because the Ravens pull one of these guys out every year. I mean, it had Utah's Tyler Huntley. And they've had some other guys as well. And I think they've won some crazy, like, 20-something preseason games in a row, which obviously doesn't mean anything, but it, it does mean that they've had good backup quarterback play. And Anthony Brown's been no exception. He's been really, really good in that system. Um, and really, it hasn't been a lot of – with his feet, it's, it's mostly been with his arms. So it's been uh, an interesting piece to add to the kind of ongoing dialogue of Mario Cristobal versus his quarterbacks <laughs> in that system. Yeah, so so last night, Brown goes uh, 10 for 13 with two touchdowns. Um, man, like his, his arm strength looks pretty damn impressive with NFL receivers. You know, that was, that was kind of the one thing that I never questioned Brown's arm strength when he was at Oregon, he could really freaking sling that ball. Um, it was just either accuracy or the fact that Oregon ran an offensive system that didn't really allow him to do that. Decision-making as well, for sure. 
but 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 him being in Baltimore system and thinking about the way they use like Lamar Jackson, obviously he's a quarterback that can run. And I'm just kind of reminded of, you know, for as much shit as Anthony Brown took from Oregon fans last year at times, like this was also a dude who was willing to like run, turn the corner, put his shoulder down and, and go into dudes. I'm thinking like that Ohio State game last year, he had a really big third down conversion on the ground. Like I never thought that he was an NFL quarterback, but you know, maybe in the right system and maybe this is the right system. He could at least get on as a, as, as a backup. Cause I, I, I think he's definitely a talented athlete. It just, just last year was ugly at times. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have too much more to add. I think the, the debate's gotten kind of exhaustive, but I, I do agree with you in terms of, I just think last season, I almost felt like the framing of the season and that early Ohio state win was the worst thing that could have happened to him. Because I think, I mean, you look at the stats now, it's like any other season, that's one of the best, Oregon single season quarterback performances you'll get stat wise. I mean, you could nitpick, right? Um, but I just thought that was so interesting because if this was the team that didn't have those expectations or had lost to Ohio State, the whole damn thing is different. It's it's crazy looking at his numbers just because Oregon fans think they are bad because they're used to four years of Justin Herbert and then they had three years of Marcus Mariota. And even like the two years before that, like Darren Thomas had like a 38 to four, like touchdown to interception ratio, like for, for, for as much uh, crap Oregon gets for like its quarterback development and play, like it's been a pretty damn good quarterback school for the last 12 years. And like Brown was was mid-level. I feel like that in a different offense and maybe with different players around him, he could have been good. And, and now we move on. But also, did you see that? Uh, did you see that Tyler Shuck was named uh, Texas uh, Texas Tech starting quarterback yesterday? Yeah, it's it's funny to see. And I wonder what will happen to Robbie Ashford down at Auburn. <laughs> I don't think he's in the starting mix this year. But it's funny to see all these kind of former guys move on and, and find some sort of success. Although Shuck had some moments last year, he didn't look amazing. I'll say. Yeah, it Shuck's transfer was funny because before he ever even threw a, a pass down there, like all of a sudden you start started seeing his name in like the, the potential like draft watch lists and stuff. And that that's just that's the one side of football that I just don't like wrapping my head around. It's just like like you're you're projecting a guy who hasn't played, especially at the quarterback position. It it just mm-hmm. seems like sometimes like when a new name goes to a school, it's like, okay, like this guy, like he must be the new hot thing. And it's like, let's, let's let him play, play a little bit. Like I still, I right. still don't know if Tyler Shuck is a good quarterback or not. I don't know if we'll get that answer before he's done with college either. Uh, Devin Allen might be a good NFL wide receiver though. Like he, he played in his first preseason game yesterday. Uh, former, former uh, Olympian. He very well could have been the fastest man in the 110 meter hurdles this year. And uh, he looked awfully damn fast catching that touchdown yesterday. It's kind of the perfect stat line for him. I think it was like one target, one catch, fifty-five <laughs> yard touchdown, and that's like what he did at Oregon. Yeah, I was, I was about to say like I, I think the the play that's coming to mind was he had a touchdown like that against Michigan State in week two, like his his freshman year, and that was really kind of like his big big breakout moment. And you know there was a lot of talk at Oregon that like it was the system that was often kind of like throwing him open. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you had that many uh, uh, weapons on the field, especially as Mariota at quarterback, like it seemed like guys were going to be wide open. Turns out he might just be really freaking fast. Yeah, no, I think there's there's no uh, debating that. And I mean, the the one thing I, I, I will debate is and I'm I'm a huge proponent of the um, the new uh, the, the NFL allowing players to change their numbers and dropping the positional limits on numbers. But thirty nine on receiver is just god awful. 
it, it, it looks like it's like a walk-on running back out there or something. Yeah, no, it, it's horrible. And then the Chiefs have Sky Moore. He's this rookie. He wears 24, which I think might even be worse. So not a big fan of that. It reminds me too much of college. And even in college, that kind of throws me for a loop. Like, I always hated Jalen Red being a wideout wearing number 30. <laughs> I just thought that was wrong. But, yeah, he looked fast. I hope he makes the roster just for that sake. And then should be a fun team. So if he can even just play spot minutes here and there, the Eagles have been pretty good at utilizing kind of deep threat receivers for the past, you know, um three five years somewhere there so it, it, it could work who knows i uh i, I caught I, di- I didn't watch a whole lot of the nfl preseason actually uh go figure games don't count uh i did watch the first two games of uh the new york chicago wnba series just to see what sabrina unesco would look like in her kind of big big playoff debut and uh game one uh new york liberty they're the they're the the underdogs in here and it was just like quintessential Sabrina where it was like a close game in the fourth quarter. And you, there's just like a few athletes that you've watched where like you just get that feeling that like something like important is going to happen. And and she was all over the court in the fourth quarter and they, they won and made a big, it was a big upset tone setter in that game. And then they got beat by like 50 last night <laughs> or on Saturday. So, yeah. um, it, 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 sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's interesting because like with Sabrina, like, Obviously, it's cut short with COVID, and then her first season, you know, she's dealing with COVID. She also is dealing with injuries, and then she's kind of figuring things out last year. And then this year, it's like every time they're on, I'm getting tweet notifications. It's like first player ever to have, yeah. and it's just like, I mean, the laundry list at this point, it's got to be like a dozen different things now. And and it's crazy. It's crazy watching, especially in a series like this. I mean, like, you know, Chicago's best player is like Candace Parker, who is – uh a bit of a physical freak, you know, just like looks more like a basketball player, like watching Sabrina play, like everything she gets is very hard earned. Cause like, she's not even close to the most athletic player in the WNBA. And I think that's probably why it took a little bit of an adjustment of just, you know, you're not bigger, faster, or stronger than any of these players, but, uh, you get into her, you get her into a close game where a lot more of like that mentality takes over and, and just kind of like a little bit of that clutch gene it's it's pretty damn fun to watch it's just uh it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can make up for a little bit of a talent deficiency in this elimination game which also randomly wnba is is game three elimination game and it's at the road i mean it's at the lower seeds like the games in Hmm. new york which is kind of seems wild to me but i want to check out some of these games i will say that the and a lot of it's money related but the wnba they just don't do a great job of advertising I, you know, and a lot of that is definitely what my social media and whatever is already curated towards. You know, I watch a lot of the NBA or the NFL or college football, right? So I get that. Right. It's probably on me, but it's hard to know when they're when they're playing. And I, you know, I hopefully to put a bow on everything. You know, players like Sabrina can continue because she was she was such a star in college. No matter who you rooted for, um, whether you watched women's basketball much at all, that hopefully she's the type of star that can continue to kind of break the WNBA open on the on the bigger scale. I, I legitimately feel like the best thing that could happen for the WNBA would be for Portland to get a team. They, they had a team like 20 years ago and then like finagle it. So Sabrina's on that team. I mean, you know, that might sound ridiculous sending a, a player who you want to be your league superstar from New York to Portland, but like, just like, look, what the, huge. Like, but just like, look what the thorns are doing. Like with like the, um, 
the NWSL in, in Portland. Like, you know, they average like 20,000 players a game. And obviously WNBA, there's more games and it's probably less of an event when you go to it. But, you know, this is this is probably one of the best states in the country when it comes to supporting women's sports and and not very high level women's sports. And like, I just feel yeah. I feel like I feel like it would there would be some uh, Sabrina mania there. <laughs> Yeah, the last thing I want to say is I, I think, you know, it's been because I'm obviously from Michigan. And so it's like you have in the downtown of Detroit, you have the NBA now because they moved away. You have NBA, NFL and NHL right there. And I think just like with Portland, the, the coolest thing for me is just how just rabid the fans are. I mean, obviously, you know about the Blazers and then like I obviously haven't been to a game yet, but I've heard so much about the Thorns and the Timbers. Um, and so I think like the, the way that they support these these um other sports and these other teams and these women's teams because they don't have an mlb team or an nfl team is, is really cool to see you had a nice story today i like that one um moshofsky scanner oregon's longtime practice indoor practice facility uh where they also do a lot of uh, like pre-game stuff for fans it got a big uh big repainting job uh todd van horn the nike's creative director kind of spearheaded the piece and uh um, you know, we weren't, we weren't the first people to, uh, put on our website that Oregon, uh, repainted the Moshofsky center, but we were the only website that talked to people. So, uh, just give me a little bit of, uh, kind of the background on uh, ch your chat with, uh, Todd Van Horn. Yeah, it's funny. It's not really the type of story I usually go after because I think when people go after those type of stories, it tends to be more of like a press release. And we were just kind of talking about this earlier. Um, but I saw it on Twitter and I just, you know, figured I'd fire off some emails and DMs and whatnot and spent you know, about an hour trying to track these people down. And, and I got in touch with, you know, some of the artists as well. And, you know, kind of a miracle. They all got back to me within the day and I had interviews done later that afternoon, which, as you know, is incredibly like, rare. Isn't that like the best feeling in the world? Oh, yeah. Like that, that never happened. Like I wish... Like, no offense, like, this was a great story. I love this story. I wish that would happen on, like, when you need, like, a source to call you back right away for, like, a breaking news. Like, right. Yeah. And it just never happens when you truly need it. And, of yeah. course, I could have had that story out that night, and then I just had all weekend to do it. But um, it was cool, you know. And this is probably going to show my age, but I didn't really, when I was, I knew Todd Van Horn had had a big role in a lot of stuff, Nike, and now he's got his own thing with the Van Horn brands. And his son, who's finishing up his master's at Oregon, is, like, the lead designer for that now. Um, I just didn't really know the background and put two and two together until like halfway through our, you know, 25 minute interview about how influential he had been in the history yeah. of Oregon athletics and Nike with designing the O and the uniforms. And that was super cool to me. And that not everything made it into the article. It probably could have been a whole other article, but we had a huge chat about just his, the, the coolest, you know, moments of his career. And it, some of that made it in obviously, but it was, uh, he, he's a pretty like unassuming guy for totally. the fact for yeah. the fact cuz I I chatted with him in 2020 um I did kind of like the full backstory of of how Oregon's uniforms went from just concept to reality and uh yeah it was like it was like Todd Van Horn, Phil Knight and like Tinker Hatfield like basically like they designed like the like basically the rebranding of the O oh, they they you know did all sorts of meetings about you know how how can we turn Oregon into kind of a national brand and, and just flip the uniform thing on its head? And, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of input in NFL uniform designs, too. I, I think if people remember um, some of those Super Bowl winning Denver Broncos jerseys back in uh, like the, the Elway days, he had a hand in those, um, too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a guy whose you know, mm -hmm. fingerprints are all over the place. 
And, yeah, uh, he did Hayward thought, too. Yeah, um, that was big as well, and kind of similar, uh, similar kind of mock-ups where you know it's it's uh, kind of it's it's modeled off the Coburg Hills and the forest, and it gets lighter as the you know because they do that with the seats in Hayward too. Is like the, the lower seats are like much more kind of pine level. Um, and everything and then it kind of moves up and gets lighter as it goes on it's it, it's kind of funny that uh you know as, as you put in the story uh the, the dark to light um you know there's there's a practical purpose for that and that it kind of uh um covers up some of the scuff marks from you know 24 years of being a practice facility um and i they kind of use a similar concept as you just mentioned at hayward where the 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 chairs are all different colored as it, it goes up to and that's uh, I wrote about this a couple years ago, but like they did that in part to make it look like this stadium was more full. Right, right. We're in attendance. So, yeah, and it was cool. I mean, we we built in the Mashovsky plenty of times, and it's a pretty pretty plain building. Obviously, I mean, it, it it's what it needs to be. But this is, I mean, it's I can't wait to go in there now and actually see this with my eyes. Le- legitimately, the last time I was inside that building was uh, Justin Herbert's pro day. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. that was that was kind of the day that uh, uh, everything shut down. Yeah, yeah. Everything shut down, which like it's still funny because I remember being at that pro day and like watching Herbert throw like flat-footed seventy yards, being like, "That was still it's still a to- story I tell people." Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, "Oh man, like this is going to be what everyone's talking about tomorrow." And it was just like, "Oh no, <laughs> there's there's yeah. no more sports." No, that was the last thing I covered pre-pandemic. I think. Um, yeah, I said, do you want to do a few minutes on uh, on Oregon and Oregon State camp? I know we neither one of us love like the whole traditional um, exhaustive previews, and we'll probably talk again before Georgia, obviously, which we're yeah. both, both going to head down there. But so I I went down to Oregon camp last week. Uh, Kenny Dillingham was speaking, uh, offensive coordinator. I uh, I kind of like that dude's moxie. You know, he uh, he's young and uh, like he's had probably everyone tell him how young he is throughout his whole career. But he definitely talks like a guy who's been watching college football coaches his entire life. And, um, you know, I, I think that the thing that I've picked up a lot on from, you know, I'm sure people want us to talk about football, but screw them. Uh, uh, <laughs> that the thing I've picked up from this staff is just. They uh they'll they'll make you work for it in the media scrum. Um, like they they they've been yeah. very they've been very. I, I've been really happy with the amount of media access we've been able to get in terms of like it seems like they're trying to be more helpful in setting up some interviews and this and that. But in terms of like, you know, if you show up to the media scrum and you just ask like how is practice, like they'll say good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Which like, like I, honestly, I respect it because I think so many members of the media and I. I, I can get caught up in it too, but like we just ask dumb questions where it's like, what did you expect them to say? Right. You're hoping that when you ask them how it's practice, they'll go into a, you know, 45 second rant about these players and these plays that stuck out, but you know, they shouldn't have to necessarily, you should have to work for it to a certain extent. And it, it challenges you to ask better questions. And I think the whole staff is going to be like that, but you're right. Um, it was much more wide open. And that was the experience I had down in Corvallis as well. I mean, that was just a whole kind of different, different area, kind of uh, different vibe really. Dude, and and what's crazy is like that's more buttoned up in Corvallis than like it's been like in the past too. Like it, it it used to be like you could just show up to practice and like tell them like who you wanted to talk to and they would like, you know, pull whoever off. But uh, um, 
you know, that's, there's obviously a lot more incentive now for coaches to not share stuff, especially with like how instantly every little bit of information is either tweeted out or put on the internet. Not that like I've ever had a football coach like divulge me like their entire offensive game plan and it's room. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Know? Although, although I love some, some people will try to get that for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in, in like I, I enjoyed uh, the practice. I went out to Corvallis too. Like I, I don't think Oregon State's going to win the Pac-12 championship this year, but I think it's significant that they're at a point where they're at least saying that they want to contend for it. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's no longer let's get to a bowl game. It's no longer like let's rebuild and turn this thing around. Like like this is 100% Jonathan Smith Smith's program right now. He like built the foundation to a point where like they don't have any huge glaring holes. I mean, this is a team that has a very veteran defense, which I can't believe we're leading with Oregon State's defense here. But uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I think they're in a really good spot and it just sucks that it's coming at a time in college football where, you know, people probably aren't going to care much about, about that unless you're contending right. for, you know, the either the playoff or becoming the next candidate to join the Big Ten or SEC. You're right, but I, I do think the state just as a whole between Oregon, Oregon State, maybe even, you know, Portland State. I know you've talked about doing some, some stuff on them, but, you know, the, the two big schools, I just think, especially like leading with the defenses, like we might even do a piece about just on kind of the the road to the pack might go through these these two defenses to an extent. They might not be the top two defenses, right? But just in terms of talent, they're up there and they have a lot of veterans. And with Oregon State, you definitely didn't expect that. That hasn't really been what's kind of led the team throughout um, – Smith's tenure and then with Oregon you know there's a lot of excitement on the offensive end but it still should be the defense that that kind of gets things going for them um, I know we we haven't really talked too much about football do you have any overarching thoughts on either one of these teams mm. I mean both teams could come down to like whether or not they get big leaps from their starting quarterbacks I mean yeah I, I think there's a lot of parallels between these teams honestly yeah a hundred percent and like if Chance Nolan like all of a sudden comes out and he took like a major leap, like I think Oregon State could be like really freaking good. And now you know, Oregon like we know all the pieces they have on defense. We know you know they they have a new running back, but I think you know they have five dudes on scholarship there. Like one of them will be able to play pretty well. It's just whether or not Bo Nix can be better than Bo Nix of the past, or if yeah, Ty, yeah. or if Ty, or like you know they 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 still haven't named a starter, which. uh you know, I'd be I'd be surprised if tight if it ends up being Ty Thompson, but you know, if I'd if be shocked. Yeah, I think there's about a ten percent chance. Yeah, but if that's the case, it means he's better than a three year star SEC starter. So, yeah, yeah no, it's it's going to be interesting because you're right. If, if Chance Nolan takes a leap, I mean, we're just say it was seven and five last year, and they lost some games they had no business losing. So it's like yeah. you'd expect eight wins from this year, like, and like, then like the like the Colorado game that you wrote about last right. last week, yeah, hundred um, percent. Uh, so you know you would expect eight wins and then I don't think nine would be crazy if they get a leap from chance Nolan and they have some talent on offense. I mean, I'm going to probably write a piece about him at some point, but this tight end Luke Musgrave, who's um, Bill Musgrave's nephew and Bill Musgrave has been all around as an offensive coach. And he's now, um, he's now in the, uh, over at, at Cal as their offense coordinator, but this guy's like this, this, his nephew's six foot six, just totally an NFL tight end. And, the defense has a ton of guys. Um, I think quickly on Oregon, um, again, there's there's a lot of new faces and a lot of stuff to get into. 
I'm just obviously excited to watch Noah Sewell and Justin Flo in the middle, but I, there's so many guys in this defense. I think the defensive line is going to be so much deeper and that's going to make the biggest difference. Actually, I think that's the thing people are talking about, but probably could talk about more. I um, mean, you know, there's some depth concerns at, at cornerback for sure. And there's going to be new safeties, but I think overall, I mean, this is going to be a fun team to cover just because there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of exciting players in terms of play style as well. Awesome, man. Well, as part of that coverage, uh, I know I wrote about this or mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but we're we're certainly excited to have you in the fold for the season and contributing weekly here on, on the corridor, whether it's through the podcast or through the stories like you wrote today, which, by the way, everyone go check out if you haven't seen. Uh, and today's the last day of us being not one years old, man, like like tomorrow's the, the big birthday and uh, which is kind of crazy for me to think, because uh, when I started this thing a year ago, I had no freaking clue what I wanted it. To, I still don't really know want it, what I want. <laughs> I still don't really know what I want this thing to be, but like the simple tagline is it's a place for good organ, organ stories. And I, I think, uh, I think we've been able to achieve that pretty well through the first year and, and definitely excited to have you aboard here as uh, we move into year two, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been cool to see the growth it's taken. Obviously, I remember we had a phone call around a year ago at this time and you kind of explained why you had left the athletic and what you were doing. And you kind of mentioned that if I had a story I wanted to pitch, I should go ahead and do that. And then it took a while for that to finally happen. But then, you know, it's been really awesome to do stuff for you throughout the year. And it's, it's helped me as a writer. And we've been talking about, you know, what kind of stuff could be next. And so there might be some, some even some non-sports stuff in there. And then once, you know, the NBA season starts, I'm sure there'll be some Blazer stuff. So there'll be a lot of kind of cool content. And Eddie also starts with doing some Morgan State stuff as well, obviously. Yeah. So uh, if, if you're if you're not a subscriber, uh, maybe give us a consideration. It's i-5corridor.com. You can get a seven day free trial. There is also a link right now for this week only where you can get 50 percent off for the year. It's our it's our birthday special. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll probably be back later this week with Aiden. If not, we'll be kicking things off next week. But uh, Shane and I will be back doing this uh, every Monday throughout the football season. So thanks for uh, listening to. Live five corridors traffic report. Sweet.